This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Good morning, good morning, Professor Ward Scott here in the Manly Warthog Man Cave, by golly. And uh, it's a chilly one right here. We are, of course, in the bunker. Uh, the Melvin Law Studio, as you know, 50 years of experience, full legal firm, big supporter of ours, official law firm partner of the Florida Gators, and of course, protected by our good friends at Crime Prevention, cpss.net, 24-7, 365. And, uh, you know, we've got a little bit of change of weather. We'll talk about that at the, at the bottom of the show. Of course, this is uh, our, our delightful day with uh, our former congressional representative who far as I know, might be the only person I know who term limited himself. Why do all the good ones term limit themselves and all the bad ones stay? Um, there's an article about that we may get into with my guest today, Ted Yoho, because uh, the journal did an analysis recently on staff guys, Ted, who have made good money off of investing in the things their com- committees and their staff um, shepherd, you know, sort of inside trader stuff. So, you know, yeah. if they hang around D.C., they go in poor, they come out wealthy. And the journal did it. We may get into that a little bit. But uh, anyway, welcome to the Ward Scott Files today uh, with Ted Yoho, whom you can set your clock by. I swear, you know, it's it's as regular as the sun going up and down. And that, that is a rare thing I've found in this world. You know, if we could just teach young people to show up early, Ted. I hear so many times from employers, it's not that they show up late they should be showing up early and uh that that's gone by the wayside i guess but anyway i wish i could take credit for staying being that way always but i know you've got a lot of my old clients from my veterinary days listening and they said that <laughs> sucker was always late he never showed up on time well uh, that's a little different deal you probably but it would. takes it takes maturity to change <laughs> well <laughs> You've got a little bit of excuse. You were probably busy at the previous place and things got more, uh, you know, a little bit out of uh, what you expected. So I can understand that. But uh, anyway, we are here to talk about, um, I'm looking at the chat line here, just about anything that you all want to get into. And uh, we'll, I'll watch the chat line. Yes, Ken Hilliard's in Atlanta, Ted. It's 32 degrees. Oh, is um, that right? Plantation Mark in Virginia, 29 degrees with frost on the broccoli. Well, 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 there you go. And um, we, of course, will expand on this weather situation here in a moment. We were talking before we came on the air. Ted and I usually chat a few minutes before we come on about what we wanted to really share with you. And the news right now, if you follow it the way we do, is watching and should be anyway. But we've been doing it for a long time, and it seems that's about all we've been doing, is watching China. 
And there's no question but what China's objective is to become the world power and to displace us. And of course, you may refute what I just said. And that's the purpose of this show is to debate and have a forum and a community. But I stand uh, willing to be corrected. But I don't think anybody can correct me on that, except maybe Ted, whose specialty was that Asian world. Ted, have we got that right? Is this the unbridled objective of a consolidation of power and, if you will, ownership of the party and single-minded purpose that we see this current fellow putting together? Sure, there's no doubt about it. And there's two books I want people to read if they haven't read it. One is by Michael Pillsbury. It's called The 100-Year Marathon. And it talks about our foreign policy starting in the 70s, uh, trying to embrace China, bringing them into the world, uh, I, I don't want to say world order because I'm not a one-worlder, but into the world structure of responsible nations. And uh, the other book is written by Stephen Mosier, who I have an open dialogue with. He wrote a book that's very good. It's called The Bully of Asia. And those two books are very succinct in what they lay out um, as far as the goal of China. And I got asked often, how do, you, how do we deal with China? And I said, the only way you know, the only way you can deal with China is to know what China endgame is and its world hegemon. Um, they want to be the world superpower, not just in, in military strength, but economic strength. And they want to be the ones that kind of control society. And they're doing a, a great job in their country, if you don't mind an authoritarian uh, regime telling you what you can do, where you can travel, and things like that. And they're spreading that throughout the world. Um, they have... Uh, um, really increase the technology of watching people wherever they are with their CCT cameras. There's over a billion of them in use in, um, in China, and they've uh, exported that to Venezuela. They've exported it to Cuba and other repressive regimes. And, and their goal is to do that. And, and, you know, the thing is, they are doing that. And um, I, I'm glad to see that, Congress is finally waking up because we talked about this. You know, they control 90%, no, virtually 100% of the rare earth metals. 90% comes directly from China, who gets it from other nations. And then the other 10% get it, uh, gets it from countries that get it from China. <clears throat> the pharmaceuticals, they control anywhere from 60 to 100% of the pharmaceuticals that we use. And the list goes on and on and on and on. And uh, they, you've got to admire what they have done, but it should be scaring us to death that they have to death that they have created that much clout um, in the supply chains. And I think COVID was a very good uh, example of how they can control the supply chains. Um, and so this is really the wake up call. And you know, I think back of Obama when he was leaving office, he told Trump that the biggest threat to America was North Korea. And I'm like, North Korea is a mosquito compared to China. And, you know, our biggest threat in this country is three things. It's ignorance, it's our debt, and it's China. That's well put together. Um, let's see if we can do anything about any of those three things. And so far, I'd have to say we're getting an F on all fronts. Uh, I don't see ignorance being really mitigated in any way. There is also there an interesting corollary that perhaps only the Democrats, and I don't have the polling information in front of me, I'm going to cite it from memory, 
really have, if there's anything to be said at all, trust in the media. Um, and only about, and it's pretty high, about 70% of them trust what they see in the media. Everybody else on the United States planet doesn't have any respect for the integrity of the media. Now, that hasn't changed. I, you know, we're going to get into a conversation, I'm sure, about the tech platforms and how they're embedded. Are they not with China in some way or another? TikTok oh, is yeah. an example. Well, TikTok is owned by uh, a Chinese company, and it's really the Chinese Communist Party because they tell what the message is that goes out. And, um, you know, you look at Apple, Apple kind of uh, bowed down to China because that's where all their production is done. And so they have to listen to what the Chinese Communist Party tells them. And if you go back to when Xi Jinping came into power, and there's a great book talking about the whole Chinese hierarchy. It's a very boring read. It's very um, academic. Um, I suffered through it. But it's really an insight of how he came into power. And he came in in 2012 is when he first came on the world stage. And he immediately went after people in corruption. And he supposedly has over a million people in prisons over there that were charged under corruption as the Biden administration wants to charge people uh, under conspiracy you know, or insurrection. Um, and so we're doing the same techniques here. But the important thing is, he has changed the footprint um, of the trajectory that um, the previous leader, um, um, Deng Xiaoping, I think it was, uh, before him, that had liberalized China somewhat uh, until the Tiananmen Square incident. And when he came into power, I remember reading, he said that we are going to get rid of all Western influence in China. And then he wrote the... Uh, uh, Xi Jinping thought uh, that is read in all the schools. It's his pretty much like Mao Zedong's uh, philosophy. And this is what they've been marching to. And the interesting thing with TikTok is Trump tried to get rid of it because he knew the threat of that. Biden let it, you know, they got rid of the ban on it. And in China, they China won't let the Chinese children do video games or be on social media during the weekdays. They can have a couple hours on the weekends and on holidays. Other than that, they cut it off, but yet they flood our market with this garbage. And you see the stuff on TikTok. One of the things is quiet quitting that they're promoting. And that's these people going to a job and they quit right away. I read about an article last week of a girl that showed up at uh, some factory or some job. She was there for 10 minutes and quit. And, um, you know, it's just it, it's promoting a degradation of our society and they're doing it purposely. And, and make no mistake, the fentanyl problem that we have in this country, 100 percent of that comes from China. And about 98 percent of that, 90 to 98 percent of that comes through our southern border. And that's China recreating the opium wars of the 1800s. And um, I argued with this. Um, we had plans to stop this coming in. Um, but China's goal is to take over the world economically and militarily. The military expansion seems to be basically unchecked. They've built islands in the sea. Um, they've extended their military power out into the sea. They have saber-rattled Taiwan. And 
I don't really see anything that we've done about it other than, well, I think one of the compromising issues, we'll get into this too, Biden's family has profited from relationship with China, right? Yeah, if ever there has been um, a foreign country that has had a hold of our people in power, especially the president, it is the Biden family with the corruption that's gone on there. And that will come out when Republicans take charge if they do their job. Um, the thing with China, though, is people just need to understand this is not a game. As far as their military, I was on a briefing in Hawaii when we were on a trip to go over to the Asia-Pacific. Admiral Harrison was there, and he gave us kind of a just a, a quick showing of the military force that China has versus what we have. They outscale us in pretty much everything except Navy ships. But as far as armaments, uh, ordinances, and things like that, um, they are way superior to us. Now, the quality may not be as much, but when you have, um, they have 10 and we have one of something, you don't have to be real accurate. And um, they're, they're building five aircraft carriers. And their goal, again, is to take over the world. And, you know, when you hear their academic admirals, the retired ones, saying that it's time that we take out one, one or two of the U.S. Navy fleets, uh, that's five to 10,000 people. If they take out an aircraft carrier, they carry about 5,000 apiece. He goes, Americans don't have the stomach for that kind of uh, loss. But I think they underestimate Americans. You know, you'll see this nation come together. But that's the kind of rhetoric that's coming out of China. And, uh, you know, they're not playing around. Well, we've been watching it and watching it and watching it. And I've been hearing it and hearing it. And what person hasn't looked at an article of clothing and seen Made in China in it. And of course, we have all this discussion about the evils of slavery two or three centuries ago here. While it goes on right now, under a different name, of course, in the places that produce the apparel that people wear here. It's just, it's, it's, a, it's kind of amazing, Ted, that that's pulled off. I mean, you know, there's no complaint about it because of the convenience of getting the product is outweighs the concern about where the product was produced and how it was produced. Same thing with the same thing with the war uh, between the states, as the South called it. Um, the North well, wanted that wanted that cotton. The cotton yeah. was what they wanted. You know. Well, Rubio talked about this in the the debate with Demings last night. If you want to go into that, where. She goes and uh, he voted against the CHIP Act. He voted against, you know, the abortion issue. And he goes, seriously, he goes, those are important issues. He goes, you know, we make a big issue out of abortion and political correctness in the military and wokeism in the military. When we've got these serious problems and it's a wake up call that we need to deal with those. And so when you look at that, do you, you know, if I'm going to go into the Demings and uh, Rubio debate, who do you want to lead or represent this country? Somebody that's all about wokeism and abortion issues and things like that, or inflation, military um, security and those things. And I think Rubio was the adult on the stage, and he's the one that was going to lead. Those are the kind of people we need in government at this point in time. And, um, you know, you know, it's, it's, we've got a tough road ahead of us. And the American people, I think some of them understand this. But if you just look at our debt ward, and you and I have talked about this, you either deal with your debt or your debt will deal with you and you don't have an option. And if it's, we're forced to deal with debt, 
through austerity measures, it is going to be an ugly scene in this country uh, that we've never seen before. Well, you know, I've got a chat line question here that is a pretty good one. Uh, coming from a Vietnam vet, so he's got um, a past involved in that Asian world. Why do we allow Chinese investors to keep buying up American property? Other than um, the fact that everything's for sale. <laughs> well, it's greed and ignorance, I think. Um, you know, the person selling the property, yeah, they, if they want to make a profit, they can do that. There's all kinds of laws on the book that are supposed to prevent this. CFIUS is one of those. It's uh, uh, a foreign um, uh, asset control act, things like that, that when a deal like that, that's significant, is going to happen, it's supposed to go through a review process, but somehow it falls down in that process. You look at Smithfield uh, Farms, largest pork producers in the United States, and um, China, it's owned by China. And then they control or they process pigs for a large percentage of the hog producers in America. Uh, this is an oversight of the American people and the American government. And we need to stand up as a people and say no, because they're buying our factories. Uh, the Obamas put out a great documentary, and I hate to give them credit for anything, um, but it's called American Factory. And you ought to just listen to that because that tells you the insight of the Chinese worker and the American worker, good contrast, and who's running that company. Um, a Chinese company does not be allowed to be in business unless the, the managers of that um, are members of the Chinese Communist Party. And the dictate from Xi Jinping is all companies, they're there to make a profit for the betterment of the Communist Party, not for the shareholders. And that's why Jack Ma, the guy that did Alibaba, uh, suddenly mis uh, mysteriously disappeared. And his wealth went from hundreds uh, of millions, if not billions, down to pretty much nothing because he was not serving the Communist Party, according to Xi Jinping. Well, I hear these discussions, read about them, of course, and I see all too many parallels potentially developing here. Single party control control the media, um, control of the economy for ideological reasons rather than sound financial reasons. And then, of course, this blind eye to the intrusion of China into pretty much every aspect of our lives and uh, unnoticed and unmentioned, and in many times even, even partnered with in high yeah. places. This is a recipe for, for a, a really, uh, uh, you know, we've talked about it. We don't get this turned around in a, in a couple of weeks here at the congressional level to some extent. Uh, and they yeah. run the table. I mean, we don't have any way to stop it, uh, Ted, as I see. Well, you're right. And it's not a, a Trojan horse. It's a herd of Trojan horses that are coming in. Going back to the question from the Vietnam veteran, um, if you look at that land they bought up in the Dakotas near the drone factory that got allowed to be purchased, you know, something needs to happen with that. And the way it needs to happen is people need to remind their representatives that they need to block that deal with the, the Department of Defense, you know, national security issues. When I first went into Congress, General Alexander was head of the NSA and we had a briefing and he said, if you're on the Internet, 
understand that China is in your computer. I mean, that was back in 2013. Uh, the Senate committee and uh, intelligence committee, which kind of was the oxymoron, in 2012 had a hearing on ZTE, the electronics company and telephone company, and Huawei. And they said they were a national security threat. Uh, that we should not incorporate their technology in any of our stuff. And we did a pretty good job, except some of our smaller states like Montana and that um, started to put those in because they were so cheap. And Trump, I mean, he, he did such a good job at not just going, preventing it from being installed here, but he went after our allies like Great Britain and that threatened them that if you put that in, our security agreement with you is over. And they uh, finally caved in and listened to Trump. And I was just up in D.C. last week and we met with some of those people. And they said, you know what, we're really glad we did that because we know that stuff is, you know, they get into our system and they take it over. And so, you know, for the Vietnam veteran, you know, it's awareness out there, but we need we need action is what we need. And that's what we lack. We're, we're lacking on the action side sufficiently to push China back. And the way we can do it as consumers is when you pick up something in a store, if it says made in China, put it back. You know, you're going to pay more for something, but it's going to be a better quality. And uh, uh, I'm buying a lot of stuff now from Vietnam, a communist country, but they have a high disdain for uh, China. And so they're helping us in that respect. How do you do that? Do you do that on buying online? How does that work, Ted? Um, online, I'm kind of at the mercy. You can go in and if you go through the clicks on the, on a product, you can finally usually find where it's manufactured. If I'm in a store, I'm picking up the stuff like Home Depot and that. And, you know, it's interesting. Uh, two years ago, everything was made in China and Home Depot pretty much. I don't want to say everything, but a, a high percentage. I went in there going to buy some tools and that, and I'm seeing more stuff made in the USA or Taiwan or Vietnam. I saw stuff made from Denmark and, you know, other countries. And I think they're seeing it. And we wrote several policy papers and it was called um, manufacture. It was a shift in manufacturing. It was called ABC manufacturing. And it was anywhere but China manufacturing. Because if we hit them economically worldwide and we move manufacturing base out of China to anywhere but China, that economic pressure will make them pay attention more so than you know, threats and kinetic energy, you know, type of conflicts that we don't want to see. Nobody would win in that in this world today. Well, we need leadership because leadership could, theoretically, and I think if you can imagine it, you can do it. Um, we should employ our people rather than paying them not to work, teaching them to be dependent upon the state. Uh, we got a better way for them to be dependent upon the state. Let's state... Um, advocate for return of all the things that we can do here that are now being done for cheaper labor. Basically, that's why I'm sure uh, there's an old joke, for example, I had a friend who who um, was insisted that the Nike shoe swoosh and all that was overpriced. And most of the money you paid for the shoe went to the sports star who endorsed it. And the actual manufacturer of the shoe was done in China and therefore the shoe was really only should cost only 10 bucks or so. So he would go to Sam's. Okay. And he would buy what he contended was basically the same shoe for a lot cheaper. Then he would paint the swoosh on his shoe, Ted. 
And I told him, joking around with him, I said, do not go in the hood with that shoe because you'll get bumped off for a phony shoe that they think the swoosh is the real thing on. And That's it, right. And in a way, it was a joke, but it wasn't a joke. You know, it was, it was, a, and he was a smart guy. He made a lot of money in sales and he understood the markup and things and the price and the product and all that. So he just, and he was an avid tennis playing friend of mine. <laughs> he wouldn't wear a shoe with a real swoosh. He'd buy the cheaper version that he contended was the same shoe and paint the swoosh on himself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and I think it's awareness of people and that player that was in the NBA, uh, he's a Muslim basketball player. And he was talking out about the Uyghurs and the genocide that China's doing on the Uyghurs. And the Uyghurs are a Muslim sect up in the Xinjiang area, which is um, um, an area that they claim sovereignty over. And it's historical. I mean, the records are there. Um, people like him that speak out are, are true heroes because he got tore up in the media uh, the NBA went after him, and all these people are doing that. But he was speaking truth, and um, we need to rally around people like that and uh, invite them to black tie, blue jeans, and things like that, because they're the people that are really in tune with what's going on. And if we start a gra grassroots movement, which you saw what the Tea Party did, you saw what our founding fathers did in the Tea Party rev um, uh, 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 revolution back in the um, the old days how a uh, grassroots movement can really change things. And we just need to get around people and focus on the basics. I mean, if we focus on the basics in this country or the world, we'll be a lot better off. Talking with Ted Yoho, who was uh, in D.C. for quite a while and uh, term limited himself and still has all the knowledge and the experience of having been in those, well, endless committees that... <laughs> Don't get me started on committees. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. And those people, you know, they're not elected. Well, they are, but they're on down the food chain of elected officials. And people don't know about those committees. I, I know if we did a poll and asking, uh, you know, this committee, that, then nobody would know what they were. Uh, there were a couple of them that make the splash every once in a while. The Senate Intelligence Committee, probably most people have heard of that. But I got to say, Ted, you know, you get out of, those, out of that lane and uh, you know, where do you, I think eyes, people's eyes will blur. They, they don't have any civics understanding of what these things are that are really productive or non-productive, you know? No, you're right about that. In those committees, you know, I was doing some research on the Department of Energy yesterday for a presentation. And they have over 12,000 employees and the average income is over $124,000. You know, you compare that to the average income in Alachua County. And these people, they get every holiday known off to man. They get snow days off. And when it snows <laughs> in D.C., if, if it's a snowflake in the air, you get that day off. And, you know, these committees have grown beyond their need. And, and I was talking to Fred Eberling, who wrote a book. It's called 90 Degree Turn. And he took a political science class early in his days. And he said, the professor, first question was, I have, you have a million dollars to reform this agency. What do you do? And so all these answers came. He goes, you're all wrong. He goes, a million dollars is not enough. You need to ask for $10 million and grow your department. And he was serious. The professor mm -hmm. was because he was an administrator in one of the agencies. 
He goes, your goal is to grow your agency bigger. And that's the mindset up there. And uh, um, he would be an interesting guest for you to have on sometime. And uh, um, uh, it's just interesting because you're not going to reform these agencies and get them to do what they're going to do until we put the right pressure on them. And, and uh, God, God help us um, if the Republicans get in and uh, they don't have a strong leader in there that is going to correct the, the course of the ship. What we probably should do is when you get a little time here, we'll give us that book list you've got of reading and we can post it on the, the website and uh, sure. direct people to it because, oh, this is the one of the things that I don't think exists. I mean, a little library of, of, of research. Um, uh, we're archiving right now, by the way, these shows and um, putting them in the cloud because someday somebody may come along and if they want a diary of America, all they have to do is go back and watch these shows because over many, many years and, you know, day in and day out, I'm here every day, you know, and, uh, so, you know, five days a week. Uh, that's the way it's worked. And all this stuff is piled up. Uh, really, if you think about it, uh, quite a, a history of you know, what the issues were, notwithstanding the interference from the censorship of the tech platforms. Right. And which we and I, we and I know about. And by the way, before I take a bottom of the hour break, I want to remind you all, we fired YouTube and got tired of them <laughs> playing games and we we're on Rumble. Uh, so we ask our, yeah, we fired you. Heck, I, hey, man, I'm as bad as the Trump. I'll fire you, man. If you, you don't mess with me, I'll fire you. So uh, I said, listen, let's just fire those guys. I'm tired of them. So we went to rumble.com and we asked our listeners, and many of them are doing it. Uh, go out and go to rumble.com, do Wart's God Files on a search, a little magnifying glass, and then just follow the show because and click follow because the more followers, then the greater presence we build up on that platform right. and the quicker we come up. So, um, and the reason we're archiving um, in the cloud because we don't trust any of these tech platforms if, let's say, we don't take the Congress in any way, shape, or form, Ted, you know, we're looking at more, I think, censorship. Ironically, going more in the direction that we just talked about China being in with single-party control and control of thought and control of information and, um, you know, undebated types of policy. So right. we're, we're whisker away from that, and I think that's one of the reasons you and I keep doing what we're doing, because... Uh, this certainly we're not going to become billionaires from it. I can tell you that right now. Hey, thanks for the chat right now, watching at um, the uh, chat lines. So we'll be back in a minute. I'm going to break for the weather and uh, brought to us by Lewis Oil. And then we'll come back and talk a little bit about the chili effect here and a little bit of the agricultural point of view, since uh, yours truly is sort of in it uh, and uh, let you know how it affects us. The city people don't know what the country people know. And it's unfortunate the city people know so little about the country people. <laughs> Am I right, Ted? <laughs> you got a good point there. A good friend of mine says the difference between city folks and country folks is uh, somebody in a city in the city that lives in a gated community, if a light bulb goes out, they'll call the manager of the homeowners association <laughs> and have somebody come out and do it. If you're in the country, you do it yourself. And that's, uh, I think, a big difference is you just handle things. You know, you just do it. And you know that. Being yeah. <laughs> we'll be right back on the Word Sky Files. Stay tuned.
<laughs> Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. The Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are Lewis Oil Company, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, RR Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Word Scott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All bees poop. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Now for the weather brought to you by Lewis Oil. Files. We're on our bottom of the hour break now, thanking our sponsors and our donors and all the people who support this show. And we do the weather thanks to Wendell Lewis at Lewis Oil. Been in the business for 62 years. And um, really, it's amazing. I just want to do a little aside here. The Lewis Oil uh, refinery plant, if you will, distribution, bulk distribution center, is a couple of blocks east of the Cade Center on what used to be a free and open South Main Street in Gainesville, Florida. Because of the intellectual uh, ideological influence of the fashion designers of streets, if you will, hired by the city of Gainesville. Uh, all the businesses along that street have been struggling. Uh, one I've been wanting to mention has been Grady Cabinet Works, which has been there forever. I knew Mr. Grady. They would actually hand make your cabinets. Uh, many of the things which you uh, could get personally done by Mr. Grady and then Mr. Grady's son have been not only challenged by the bulk uh, distribution of cabinets, all of which are the same at the big uh, warehouse type stores. But here in Gainesville, 
uh, the reconfiguration of South Maine has made it, in case of Lewis Oil, almost impossible to service their station at South Maine and Southwest 16th with the big bulk trucks that come in there, strictly because of urban fashion design, if you will. And I know that the owner of Wendell Lewis of that company tried to indicate to the people who were redesigning the street, listen, you know, we're not going to be able to deal with this stuff all to deaf ears. So I really thank Wendell Lewis and Lewis all for stepping up and helping us uh, keep you honest, if you will, or keep you informed. I got to tell you that right now I'm looking at my computer here and it says 44 degrees and as, uh, it says feels like 48. And as Ted has said many a times, if it says 44, it's 44. Uh, where do they get that feels like 48? Uh, maybe they mean if you're standing in the sun. But here's the real story. It's supposed to go down here in the piney woods of north central Florida um, to 36 tonight. And... I guess we'll have to have our first far, if you will. I've got fire pits outside, of course, and some of it we burn tree limb debris and all that. Of course, we have a big fire pit at one end of the pasture where we, and uh, everybody in the country generally has one. And of course, we've got some other things too that we do for ambiance, if you will. But if you've got a fireplace, you might be cranking it up for the first time in this area, 36 degrees tonight. And and it's... um. Uh, Ironically, just supposed to be a quote unquote cold snap, uh, what they call a cold snap, because we're supposed to go back up to 80 on the weekend. But meanwhile, five hours ago, according to AccuWeather, the upper Midwest has been buried by heavy snow, as Chicago has been for the first time seen its uh, first big snowstorm come in. So uh, it's coming. And basically, uh, it is supposed to be a little colder uh, unseasonably so uh, this winter throughout the Midwest, my primarily, and right up to the Florida border. We may get away with it a little bit. And the reason I say that is because of the rising cost of heating fuel. Even the co-ops, like the ones we heat with here and, and drive our power from, play electric, uh, which is a co-op, even the uh, price of, of energy from them has gone up. And that's a rural co-op. And, you know, we've got a very small margin now to keep productivity on the rural land in this state. Um, one of the great mistakes, I think, is going to be that we didn't um, protect our agrarian people more and make some sort of incentive uh, possible to keep them from selling out to the highest commercial bidder. Um, it's, it's just the way we're going. And, um, I have to work that into the weather because the weather was once upon a time, so favorable for oranges. Um, we're losing that. What we do here in this state for cattle is grow grass. Well, we're not growing grass for cattle. We're now making parking lots and commercial and real residential work. So in all that context, there we are, Ted, I hate to report it that way, but you being a veterinarian, I know that you've seen this with your own two eyes, as they say. And, um, you know, you've got that you've got that relationship with the countryside. So that's my weather report. It'll be a little cold snap and we'll be back somewhat warmer. But we were talking with Ted Yoho about China and this influence in every nook and cranny of the American way of life. And 
how there really doesn't seem to be any pushback, possibly if we get some control by the Republicans of Congress, we will really get that investigation into the Biden family and the ugly head of, uh, of selling influence by a political dynasty here will be revealed. Right now, I have to say it's being protected uh, by influential people who can influence the press and all the above. So another reason to go out and vote, if you want to get a little closer to peeling back the curtain and seeing what's been going on, you better scurry out and vote Republican. It's the only alternative we got right now. Well, where were we, Ted, as we were going to do something, and I've slept during the last 60 seconds, so <laughs> what were we going to take up, sir? <laughs> um, you were kind of talking about, you know, um, high big tech, uh, the censoring. And, you know, there's the reports out there in the media how Google and Apple and these search engines are directing your search to what they want you to hear that fits the narrative of today. And so you've really, you know, people that are doing research on the internet have really, really got to um, dig into the depths of this, of what you're trying to research. So you don't get um, what you don't get back what the big tech company wants you to read. And I found this often, you know, a lot of times you get thrown into Wikipedia and Wikipedia is not a reference source. Wikipedia is an ideological um, organization. In fact, one of their founders quit because of the liberal slant that they were doing. And um, this is just something that I think we all have to be aware of. And uh, I applaud Kanye West for standing up and taking over Parler. And I, the new company is going to be called YE. I don't know if it's Yee or Ya or whatever, but I, I, I commend him because he has been put through the ringer for speaking his mind and people want to cancel him and he's not going to do it. And so I think that's the thing America's already done, always done is rally around a fighter like that. And, uh, you know, I think that's a platform that eventually I may get on after I <laughs> regroup after <your laughs> discussion I have with you. Um, but, um, you know, I think those are the things we need to do. And then, you know, we were talking about China. And my um, papers I wrote about manufacturing ABC anywhere but China. I read an article about Warren Buffett yesterday, the Oracle of Oklahoma. He is divesting from China because he sees no way th that they're going to be able to make money off of investments in China in the future. And that's the kind of movement that we need. I wish I could say I, I, I started that, but I know I didn't. Um, but it's just great to see because that's the kind of economic pressure that the Chinese Communist Party, they'll look at it and say, we need to moderate. And, you know, we're not asking them to change or be like us, but don't try to take over the world. Uh, China and Russia on good terms, or they just mutually kind of play off each other? <laughs> they, they, don't they, really, like, they hate each other, don't they? They don't like, yeah, they, uh, I think there's a mutual hatred there and they don't trust each other. You can't, I was talking to David Stillwater who was their assistant secretary of state when I was in Congress. He goes, China just lies. And it's not that they're lying. That's just the way they are. They had, I said, well, they don't, they, they lack morals. He goes, no, they're amoralistic. They don't have morals. They don't understand that word is not in their culture. And so they tell you whatever they want to tell you. And, um, you know, Russia they're going to tell you what they want, drink, you know, salute uh, with uh, some vodka and work against you. And uh, we see it over and over again. I mean, China, to me, one of the best things is when he was in the Rose Guard, Xi Jinping with President Obama. It was in 2015, in the spring. 
and they asked him about militarizing those islands. And Xi Jinping looked at him and says, oh, that's not our intention. It's for peaceful navigational purposes. <laughs> now they're militarized, and um, it, it's just, yeah, you, you, whatever they tell you is a lie. And I've <laughs> talked to so many people around the world, even the Vietnamese, said they'll lie to you. <laughs> so as far as Russia and China, yeah, they'll they'll partner up through this conflict. If there's a conflict over Taiwan, they'll be best friends. But as soon as that's over, they're going to be trying to take the other one over. Well, they both have gotten themselves involved in Africa, have they not? Oh, big. I just came that back. It's not being covered here. Yeah, it's not. China has a, an investment uh, mechanism called the BRI, the Belt Road Initiative. And this was something that Xi Jinping uh, put into place. They have invested supposedly close to $4 trillion to develop the old Silk Road, the historical Silk Road for trade. And what they're doing is what we call predatory lending practices. Sri Lanka is the best example where they went in and lent a lot of money, bad terms, and Sri Lanka couldn't pay the terms. So China acted on that and took over their deep seaport which is in the Indo-Pacific, or it's more in the Indian Ocean. And um, it's right on the, that line there between the uh, Indo-Pacific area and India. And they took over not just the port, but 15,000 acres of land for 99 years. And this is what they're doing all over the world. You know, uh, people just need to research it. They're doing it in the Central America, in El Salvador, in Honduras, in uh, Cuba in the Dominican Republic, in Jamaica, uh, in the Bahamas. And so what they're doing, and they control both sides of the canal, of the Panama Canal, thanks to Jimmy Carter. And um, um, their goal is world hegemon, which means the world leader. And they're doing it in front of us. And every time you buy a product made in China, we help them. That's interesting. You alluded to Carter in both sides of the Panama. How's that work? What uh, that sneaky on? I got by the American public, I'm sure. Well, it was something that, you know, if you look at the history of the Panama Canal, the French started it. They couldn't finish it. Theodore Roosevelt came in there, and we finished it with the Army Corps of Engineers. And we had control of that. And Jimmy Carter, you know, he wanted to play fair. And so he thought we should give it back to Panama. And so they signed the treaty or the agreement to give it back. And uh, it was a huge mistake. It's a When you look at it from a national security point, if China is controlling the Panama Canal, they could block all access of uh, products coming in from the Asia-Pacific region to the West Coast. It would cripple this nation. And again, if you go back to um, uh, Michael Pillsbury's book, The 100-Year Marathon, and um, Stephen Moser's book, The Bully of Asia, it, it's outlined in there their goal. And they are doing it right in front of us with all these deep seaports. Which got a question about, yeah, I got a question about the debt and who owns our debt. China? China, about 30% of our debt is owned by foreign nations. Japan and China own the majority of that. And the rest is owned by the American people. It's not a good investment. <laughs> <laughs> you know, oh boy, one of the smoke and mirrors things that's going on right now is somebody said to me, uh, Oh, wow, look at the COLA increase you're going to get in Social Security. And I, I said, now listen now, you have to remember that money went into Social Security was taxed going in by working people. 
and it's taxed coming out. So it's a double taxation. And um, it's also robbed uh, to finance other programs. So basically it's broke. Um, but the cost of living, the COLA, will not even begin to cover the cost of inflation, which is, I think the COLA is around 7.8%, but the inflation's running right at nine. So it's one of these shell games. I, I, I hate to be the amateur economist here, but that's the way I think people need to look at it. Yeah, I think inflation's 8.2%. The COLA was 8.7%, which equated to $140 on an average to the recipients. Now get this, there's 65 million people on Social Security in America. So if you multiply that by $140 per person, that is $9 billion, $100 million a month times 12 months. That is $109 trillion extra a year that we have to pay just in Social Security. I don't know what the number is on food stamps, how many recipients, I forget, but their average in their average monthly increase because of the cost of food went up about $130, $140. So you multiply that by how many recipients there are on an average, that is going to be close to this. And it's unsustainable. And, um, you know, the people that you're talking to on your show board are the ones that can make a difference by putting the pressure on their representatives. And you've heard me say this all the time. Those representatives don't own that seat. It's our seat, the American people. And if you don't like what they're doing, throw their rear ends. And they're going to tell you, oh, I'm working for this and I'm working for this. The guy I ran against said, I've been working to bring um, have America energy secure for the last 18 years. And you and I know if we worked on something for 18 years for a client, we'd be fired. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, we got a friend here on the show that who is a was a uh, food stamp uh, beep investigator and knows <laughs> the numbers. Um, I'm sorry, I had to do the beep. Um, yeah, he was a food stamp beep investigator in South Florida. And just in Dade County alone, the beep that goes on there, you talked about the numbers as if this money were going out to honest receivers. But it's not. It's going out to people don't need it. And there, we've got no belt tightening. We've got no accountability. Uh, we've got no responsibility on the part of the recipient to get off of it. There's no incentive to get off of it. I just look everywhere, and it comes back once again to leadership. And so many people are cruising, assuming all is well. And when the day of reckoning comes, it's going to be pow all of a sudden. And then they're going to go back and say, well, what happened? I was listening to Nick, uh, to Coach Saban talk a moment ago before the show about the loss to Tennessee. And he said something that really reminds me of where we're going with, with the country. He says, well, he says the problem at the end where it came down to that kick was created by all the problems that came before it that we didn't fix. <laughs> Boy, how true is that? I mean, that was, I looked and I said, Coach Saban, no wonder you got the upper hand a bunch of coaches because he's a bright guy. He, he's a candid guy. And he told the guy, he says, listen, it wasn't the kick. It was all the problems that led up to the kick. <laughs> exactly right. And 
man, I tell you, that was one of the most frustrating things is you, you keep pointing this stuff out, but it's like you're talking, it's like that Charlie Brown, wah, 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 you know, it, it, it's falling on deaf ears. And, you know, we've, uh, you've heard me say this before, we'd have too many politicians because a politician worries about their next election. I don't want to hear what you're going to do. I want to hear what you're doing now. And um, we just, we need, more, we need an informed electorate, as our founding father said that. The only way you're going to retain a republic and keep it is to have a well-educated and informed electorate. And we have anything but that. I I mean, there's a lot of smart people out there, um, but there's too many that are voting that are just ignorant and they listen to sound bites. Yeah, they don't really know. My buddy who was the the food stamp beep, he says that Dade County receives about $150 a month in SNAP benefits. Wow. And about about 20% is beep. Waste and abuse. That's $30 million. Yeah. 20%. 150%. Well, you know, we had that gentleman from, uh, he was a sheriff from uh, Duval County, came up there. And, you know, you've heard me tell that story before. Bottom line is we took it to the uh, food uh, USDA who administers the food stamp program. And they admitted, now this is the USDA, they admitted there's at least a billion dollars in food stamp fraud. Beep, 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 beep. Oh, I'm sorry. A billion dollars in misuse of food stamp allocation. (laughs) (laughs) But then he goes on to say, but we think it's closer to four to seven billion dollars in misallocation. So I bring that up to the chairman of the committee. I brought it up to Sonny Perdue, the secretary of the USDA. They're all outraged, but nothing changed. Who was from Georgia, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah, but he's a great guy, veterinarian too. Um, um, great guy, but you know the bureaucracy is up there that is so strong, and they realize that you're a secretary of the USDA for four years. Uh huh. You'll be gone. Yeah. And they have time on their side, the bureaucracy, and they have no desire to change it. My chairman of the ag committee, he was well aware of it. We showed him all this, all the, all the proof. And we had in the farm bill that you had to work 20 hours a week to get uh, to be a recipient of food stamps or get educated 20 hours a week at the government's taxpayers cost. Um, and that we increased the amount of assets that you could have um, that wouldn't hurt you on your receipt. But we couldn't get that to pass. And we were in the majority and we couldn't <laughs> no. get that to pass. Oh, no. uh, that's how messed up that system is. And you're talking about committees, how worthless they are. Well, they can be good on some things and just they're worthless on others. This is a Gallup poll I alluded to a moment ago. I was looking at it. Uh, it talks about the media. Uh, Americans trust in media remains near record low. And they break it down. Um here, at least at 34% Americans trust in the ma- only 34% of Americans trust the mass media to report the news fully accurately and fairly. And that's the lowest the Gallup poll has recorded since 2016 during the presidential campaign when there was all that misinformation flying around all over the place. Um, remind, couple, you, uh, remind you of the quote of Mark Twain. For those that don't read the newspaper. They're, they're uninformed yeah. and that read it are misinformed. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
This is the first time uh, that the percentage of Americans with no trust at all in the media is higher than the percentage with a great deal or fair amount combined. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's a sad state of affairs. Uh, it really is. I mean, they used to, the Walter Cronkite days, you know, you, you think of that, and the, I don't know how skewed it was back then because I was a little kid, but it just seemed like they were adults and they talked to you, and then you could take what they told you to be true. You know, I can remember being the senior citizen between us here. Well, I don't know about whether I'm proud of that or not, but anyway, I can remember when the news was 15 minutes. It was a big deal. Yeah. Yeah, it came on. It was 15 minutes. And then after a while, it was expanded to a half hour. But I think what really shot it up was Nightline with Ted Koppel when Carter could not get our hostages back. And if you well, recall, you know, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. If you recall, that came on after the regular news and ran for about an hour. Yeah. And it was all about the frustration we as this great power had at not being able to somehow, some way, get these guys out. And I think they were held for over 100 days. I've forgotten the exact number. It's quite a while. And it was, I think it was almost 300 days. Might have been. But more, that was really kind of really helped Reagan get in. Because, you know, as soon as Reagan got in, Ted, guess what? Yeah. They were out, you know? They were. I'm going to look that up real quick. Um, no, it was. And then you had CNN come in with a 24-7 news cycle. Yeah, yeah. And my Vietnam vet buddy says that it used to be that the newsreel were in the movie theaters. And I remember that, too, pretty Man, well. Man, that was a good old days there. Yeah, yeah. Black and white newsreels. Well, we're talking with Ted Yoho. And thank you for the chat comments. I look at them as we're talking. 444 days, Nor- Norton Seltzer says, uh, Ted, um, they were held hostage. That's over a year in, in yeah, in, I got it right here. Yeah, absolutely. Four hundred forty-four days, and yep. and uh, remember they were paraded out for dramatic reasons, with sure. blindfolded, and yeah, uh, yep. they're going to get executed. Yeah, and that was after the seventy-two Munich Oli- uh, Olympics deal, where the Israels, yeah, the Israeli, and the Israelis, yeah, 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 so. It became pretty, I want to say that the news sort of grew, if you will, if that's the right word, as those events happened because they needed to be covered. They, you know, the Munich thing was so startling, unprecedented. And then, of course, over 400 days, 444, uh, thanks to Norton Seltzer um, for getting that fact for us. Um, that really called for coverage, I guess is what we're saying. Right. And now I'm convinced, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb and say this, Ted, that dramatic situations are manufactured <laughs> to some extent in order to ask for the news coverage. And everything has become well, this dramatic moment, breaking news. Well, it's not breaking at all. Heck, it's breaking news every 15 minutes on these stations. And every time you come back, breaking news. And I know there's a lot of stuff out there, but I don't know if it qualifies as news. Uh, I've got a, uh, another Zoom meeting at 10 o'clock. And I'm no, we're quitting to... right now. We're at 9.59 okay. now. So thanks for being around. I'll see you next you Wednesday. And, uh, 
We'll have a great discussion. And thanks as always. And if you get the uh, get get times, text me those books, and we'll try to get them up. Or things be you can really think are interesting. We're talking with Thank Ted you. Yo on Wednesdays, and we really appreciate you all tuning in and go over to Rumble and follow us. Warthog Command Center out.